Hello everyone, I am super excited to be sharing with you my testimony today, my conversion story today, and how Jesus Christ changed my life forever from going from dressing in black and being depressed and angry every single day to shining the light and love of Christ and becoming a professional Catholic apologist. This is a St. Paul story where St. Paul was knocked off his horse in an instant, in a light, Jesus instantly transformed his life. And so Jesus radically transformed my life as well. And I'm not St. Paul, so it took a few more times for God to really work powerfully in my life. But today, I'm going to be sharing my story with you because many people have questions about how did you go from there, being dressed in black and being angry every day and hating the world, hating yourself, hating everything, to being the person you are today. And so I love to tell what God did in my life because he is so good, so powerful, so merciful. And I want to say, his praises. I also want to talk about how I went from that to not being able to explain my faith at all, to get my head beat in, <laughs> to going and learning to be able to explain my faith, to share it with others, and to do what I'm doing today here at Catholic Truth, and that is helping people to know, love, and live the Catholic faith. So I'm going to share all of that and more with you, a lot of details that you probably haven't heard before, right after this. I grew up in a family of six kids, and my family grew up Catholic, and I grew up praying. Since the time I could talk, my parents taught me how to pray and how to thank God for things in my life, to ask uh, for blessings in my life, and to pray for other people as well. So I grew up learning about God and knowing about Him, and I didn't really know Him on a deep personal level. I went to church every Sunday. We went to church every Sunday. We went to confession every month or two months together as a family, and so I would was living my faith. However, I started to get really angry, really depressed. I mean, my family had a lot of issues, but there are many things that did happen that I found myself getting angry, depressed, lonely. And when I got to high school, it got all the worse. Middle school and high school was just a lot of people making fun of me, bullying me, putting me down. And we've seen things in the news about kids who have been pushed over the edge and did really bad things in schools. And I was heading down that direction. And I ended up becoming more angry and more bitter and more depressed and all of these things day by day. And I didn't feel comfortable talking with my family. I didn't feel comfortable talking with a lot of my friends. So what I did is what you're not supposed to do. I started stuffing it all down inside, stuffing the anger, stuffing the rage, stuffing the depression, the bitterness, all these things that's going on at home, outside of home, everything else, I started stuffing it down inside and it became like a volcano. And many times that volcano exploded. And I started dressing in black and I started um, carrying weapons and doing things that you're really not supposed to be doing. And I'm not going to get into the graphic details of all the bad things that I did, but I did become really angry and depressed. And I used to listen to a lot of music like ACDC, Ozzy Osbourne, Van Halen, really hard, hard rock. And I would just crank it up and listen to it at like level 15 just to, you know, soothe my rage and I would write poems, you know, different types of poems. I'd have two types of poems, like sad poems, which were like, oh, I'm a loser. No girl's ever going to love me. I'll never find a date. I'll never get married or have a family. And all these girls would read my poems and be like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. And I'm like, really? Do you want to date me? They're like, no. And I'm like, all right, just go write another loser poem. And then I'd have angry poems that were something like, you're a loser. F you. Your mom's a loser. F her too. If you think you're tough, come on down here and we'll see what you can do. And my poems just started to talk trash and 
be angry all the time, and that was pretty much my life. Eventually, my poems started to become darker and darker, and they started talking about hurting people and worse, to a point that's concerning, and to a point that my friends in high school recommended me to counseling. When your friends recommend you to counseling, you know you have issues. Now, my parents were already sending me to counseling, and I would just sit there like this and not want to talk to some loser who gets paid $100 an hour to hear someone's sad sob story. No, I'm not saying counselors are bad. I'm just saying that that was my attitude at the time. I was a really nice kid who had a lot of emotions that he did not know what to do with, who really didn't know where to go in life, what his purpose was, what I was supposed to be doing. And my mom was concerned about me. She was actually going to call the cops on me, she told me many years later, and send me to jail so she could, so I could get my life straightened out and I can hopefully get right in prison and come back out and do the right thing. But she couldn't do that. And I'll tell you what she did do in a second. But let me just say first that I almost flunked out of high school. I hardly did any schoolwork. If I studied for tests, it was in homeroom or the class during the test, the two minutes before the test starts. And I had like a 35 average in uh, English my senior year. I had like a 45 in chemistry, a 50 in math. I mean, I literally was doing nothing. I was just so sad. All I cared about was playing video games, hanging out with my friends, having a good time. These were my medications of choice to try to help me not think about life. I hated thinking about my life and I hated thinking about everything that was going on. So I literally just blurted out with all of these other things that I did and tried to do. Listening to music 24-7, throwing darts at people on my dartboard and hating everybody 24-7, having this tough attitude, even though I was a really nice, soft guy underneath it all who had a bad facade. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, it's like you never know what face you're going to get, you know, the nice or the evil, you know, and I had both in me and sometimes both came out depending on the situation. Now, during all this time, I still prayed. I still went to church. I still went to confession. I still I prayed the rosary. Every day I had a paper route. And every day I woke up at 5.15, 5.30, and I pr went on my paper route and I prayed my rosary every single day. And even after high school and even through college, I still continued to pray my rosary. I have no idea why, but I believe that that's one of the reasons that I had such a powerful conversion is because Mary had been praying for me for years, as did my mom, who was crying and uh, sacrificing and crying more and staying up all night waiting for me to come home and other things. And my mom prayed and prayed and prayed and cried and cried for me. And so I had two mothers <laughs> praying for me a lot, which is why perhaps God had mercy on my soul and called me and had mercy on me and gave me a powerful conversion. Now, when I say conversion, I don't mean I converted from another faith. I just mean living a lukewarm life, like do saying one thing, I love Christ, but doing and living another. Listening to music does not from God. Watching movies, that's not from God. Talk, that's not from God. I used to swear every other word, like a truck driver. I don't know if you've seen the movie Full Metal Jacket, but the, the drill sergeant swears like three, four, five times in a sentence, and that was my life. That's how I talked. That's how I operated. And I was just this loser in a sense. And God finally found me many years later, laying in a gutter, spiritually speaking, totally bankrupt, totally with nothing. And that was the moment he was going to change my life. And as I said, my mom was going to call the cops on me, but she decided to do something different. She decided to send me to a Catholic college. And we went to a talk by Peter Kreft, and he recommended three, four 
Catholic colleges in America. He said all the other ones are garbage. These four are the only good ones. So go to one of these. So I ended up going to Franciscan University after I went to a two-year college because I didn't take SATs because I didn't want to. I didn't want to do anything in high school. So I didn't. But I went to college, a two-year college. I actually did well because I had to pay for it and I didn't want to waste my money. And then I transferred out to Franciscan University, this Catholic college that I really didn't want to go to at first. It's in Steubenville, Ohio. And I used to say it's in Stupidville. And my friends used to say it's in Stupidville. And I would think a Catholic college, a real Catholic college, they just pray all day. And they probably don't play video games or have friends or like girls. They don't do anything fun. They just become priests and nuns. Now, of course, I apologize to priests and nuns out there because this was just my attitude at the time. And I realize that you are wonderful now and I understand it more now, but my attitude wasn't so good at the time. I was a lost, broken soul, and God knew that. And so he led me to the school. I firmly, 100% believe he led me to this school, and he was going to change my life forever here. I mean, can you imagine? Just every single day, day in and day out, even when I prayed, I didn't feel like God was answering my prayers. I didn't feel like God even loved me most of the time. Yeah, I did the part, but nothing was on the other side. I never had this relationship with God. It never meant anything to me. I mean, sometimes it did, but very rarely. And I didn't really know God on a deep and personal level. I came to the conclusion in high school that God probably didn't like me because I would always pray for things and they would not come true. You know, I prayed for girlfriends, didn't get them. I prayed for money, never got it. Prayed for this, prayed for that, never got it. And so I figured either, number one, God's not real. Number two, he is real, but he doesn't like me. That's probably the biggest bet. Or he is real and he does love me like everybody says he does. But he's like this old guy with a beard, like 50 billion kilometers out there, and it takes forever for my prayers to get up there. So I used to just toss prayers up to this unknown God up there and hope that he answered them and beg that he answered them. And I prayed that he would change my life a lot, and he never did. And I couldn't understand why God would never answer me. And I would get angry sometimes and ask people questions like, Mom, Dad, why doesn't God answer prayers? And they said, God does answer prayers. And I said, well, he's not answering my prayers. Of course he doesn't answer prayers. And they said, God answers all prayers. And I said, well, he's not answering mine. They said, don't question God. And they used to get mad at me. Don't question God. God answers prayers. Don't dare say that he doesn't. And so I used to ask my religious education teachers, you know, how do we know God's real? How do we know anything? Like, how do we know the Bible's true? And they used to say, well, you know, you just have to have faith. You, you just have to believe. And I used to get so mad and be like, oh, thanks for the dumb answer. That means you don't know the answer to my question. Thanks. I'll go elsewhere. And I used to get angry at people that they didn't answer my questions and that they didn't know the answer to my questions. And I figured, like, do I even want to be part of this religion? Like, if people can't even give me good answers, and there aren't good answers, why would I want to be part of it? I'm someone who doesn't like to just blindly believe. I like to know. I like to see. I like facts and all of that sort of thing. And so I spent the next 20 years looking it up after my conversion, looking up all of the answers, probably almost 30 years now, but I spent a long time looking up all the answers and seeing that there are really good answers to people's good questions. I had a hard time believing in God. So I had a hard time believing that he loved me. I struggled with this so much and, and my sins were so big. Every time I sinned, I felt so 
guilty. I felt so horrible. I felt like God was glaring a hole through my soul, crossing his arms and scowling at me. And I just didn't know the love of God. And that's why we make so many videos on these topics to help other people who struggle with these things. Little did I know at that time that God was the source of everything I needed. That the, the hole in my heart was a God-shaped hole, not a girl-shaped hole, not a bottle-shaped hole, not any other shaped hole except a God-shaped hole. It was so big that any time I tried to fill it with something else, it all fell through that void. It was like a black hole just sucking everything in. I was still as lonely as could be. I mean, I was so lonely and I felt like I was carrying a thousand pound heart every single day of my life, just lugging it just lugging my life. It felt so heavy. And I was tired of having a heavy life. I was tired of trying to pretend all the time. I didn't even look in the mirror for seven years, like six, seven years, because I hated what I saw. I literally thought I was the ugliest person on planet Earth. I literally thought I was a, the waste of space. I thought God hated me. I thought he made a mistake with me. And I remember the, my priest telling me in my high school youth group that God doesn't make junk, Brian. And anytime you keep saying that about him, you you are insulting God. He doesn't make junk. And I took that home and I tried to think about that. And I was like, but I think he did with me. I know, I know he didn't because God's perfect, but I can't see past my own issues. Everything was pointing inward and I couldn't get out of my own way until I got to Franciscan University, until those girls came and talked to me, until they gave me the biggest smiles. They hugged me. They welcomed me there. Within the first three days, I loved this school because everyone was so nice. They didn't care about my past. They didn't care about who I was. They just loved me for me. And that created a fertile soil that allowed me to be myself for the first time, allowed me to open up for the first time, and would lead, it helped lead to my conversion and really letting God work in my life. So I still prayed a lot. And I still prayed every day, the rosary. I prayed with all the kids there, but I started going to daily mass. All the kids at Franciscan University, I shouldn't say all, the majority, the vast majority of kids go to church every single day. They go to mass to worship God. And I was like, whoa, that's a little freaky. Talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. They're not only too happy and too joyful, but they're too holy. They do, they take it too far. I guess, you know, it, people say that today, you know, oh, you're religious. You know, I can't be that religious. Well, that's like saying, oh, I'm going to love my wife or my husband a little bit, but not too much. You know, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's like people, it's their excuse for not wanting to follow God with all their heart, mind, and soul. But I started going to church every day. And what really opened me up to God, and this is going to sound weird, was that half the school there was very traditional and proper, and half was very charismatic and proper. And I was like, I've never heard of a charismatic Catholic. And honestly, I thought it was really weird. And if you don't know what that means, that means these people were putting their hands up in the air and they were praying to Jesus, hallelujah, and speaking in tongues and operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I thought it was just tutti fruity weirdness. And I was like, I'm not having anything to do with this stuff. Um, and people would ask me, hey, do you want to come to the charismatic mass? Hey, do you want to come to the FOP. The FOP was a festival of praise where they just praised God for two and a half hours with music and putting their hands in the air and doing all this touchy-feely stuff. And I was like, heck no, I couldn't be caught dead in one of those FOPs. Thank you, but no thank you. And so many people were asking me that I started getting angry at them. 
I ended up starting to go to these charismatic masses, and I ended up starting to go to these FOPs, these festival of praises, and I only did it to just get people to be quiet. And I and I told God, I was like, fine, I'll go to a festival of praise, but I'm only going for ten minutes. I'm sitting in the last row, and if you can't convince me to stay in ten minutes, I'm leaving. How's that? And that was my attitude with God a lot at the end. I was super stubborn, and God doesn't usually work with stubborn people, but He knew I was so stubborn, and He humored me, I guess, many times, and I tried to remain open as much as possible because 10 minutes ended and I still didn't like the fop. I made fun of these people. I mean, these people are like, hallelujah, we love Jesus. And I'm like, you're all a bunch of freaks. Hallelujah. How about that? And I would make fun of them. I was like, you guys are all just like generating this emotion and you're running off emotion. Yeah, I did that too at Van Halen concerts. Yeah, Eddie Van Halen's the best guitarist. And I used to like go crazy at concerts. And now these holy rollers are doing that at church. It doesn't belong in church. And I would totally judge these people. I would judge their hearts. And I would misjudge them, by the way. And I think I had such a <laughs> hard line against them that God thought he would be funny. People say God has a sense of humor, and I believe that. And I remember that God was going to change my life, and it was at Mass. And the moment that he changed my life at Mass, I was in the fifth pew from the front, and I expected nothing. And I had been giving myself more and more to God. I had been going to confession more and giving up my sins more, a little bit more, not completely. And uh, I was giving myself more to God. And someone had told me, you know, I, I was complaining that God never speaks to me. God never gives to me what he gives to everyone else. And someone, maybe a priest, told me, pray to experience the love of God. So I prayed every day to experience the love of God in my life. Every day I prayed for it. Many times a day I prayed for it. And I was going to experience it today at that mass, fifth pew from the front. We were singing the song, Glory to God in the Highest. And, you know, I was singing like normal a little bit, not really paying attention at mass many times. And I felt really strongly like God wanted me to put my hands up in the air like all the other people. Being the good Catholic that I was, I immediately told him, no, definitely not. Sorry, God. Nope, that's not me. That's not my prayer style. And so he didn't make me, but he challenged me. He said, please, Brian, give me a chance. And I really felt him kind of tugging, like, do this, please do this. And I said, no. And I folded my arms. I'm not going to. I was like, this is too weird. I mean, I'm, I'm a little more used to it, but no, it's too weird. And again, he kept persisting. He's like, please take a chance. I'm not going to force you if you don't want to, but please, I challenge you. So I finally said, fine, God, if it's going to make you happy, I'll put my stupid hands up in the air. And that's exactly what <laughs> I said. And again, stubborn. God had mercy on me. And I put my hands up in the air a little, not like all the weirdos way up in the air, but just a little bit. And that's the moment that changed my life. And looking back in hindsight, it's kind of like if someone stuck a gun up to your back and said, stick them up, what would you do? You say, I give up. I surrender. Please don't shoot. Don't shoot. I surrender. And I realized looking back, that's all God wanted me to do to him is surrender. And this is an ironic point because I would run into the very traditional Latin mass crowd later on. And I would get involved with that too, because my wife was in a chant school and my pr the priest who married us said the Latin mass, you know, so that was a later date. But for now, it was like charismatic, like I just opened my hands to God, and this is what he needed me to do. So many Catholics are so closed, so iced. They don't know how to surrender to God. They don't know how to give themselves to God. And when I opened my hands, that was just a symbolic gesture of me 
opening myself to God. And I did. And that was the moment that he hit me like a ton of bricks. I got hit so hard by this divine force. I can't even explain it in human terms. The only way I can think of to explain it is in that moment, as soon as I opened my hands, I just got hit with this force that started going through my body. It felt like it felt like an 18-wheeler truck. If you're standing in the middle of the highway, imagine being hit by an 18-wheeler truck and being sent back about 300 feet. That's what it felt like when I got hit. And this force just started going through my whole body and it started paralyzing every part of my body that it touched. I literally could not move. And eventually I was singing the song and even my mouth locked up and I was freaking out, like literally. And the only thing I could move was my eyes. And I was looking at the little girl next to me, trying to turn my head just to, I just wanted to ask her, hey, is this religious freak stuff like normal? Like I'm freaking out here. And I tried to look to the other guy on the other side of me and I couldn't move at all. And I started really freaking out. And then it's almost like God pushed a button and it got harder and stronger and more radiant. And I was like, and I remember crying out in my mind. I was like, okay, God, it's going to be too much. It's going to hurt too much. Stop, stop. Whatever you're doing, I believe you are real. You're real. And I just slowed down and thought about that. I said, you're real. You're real. Like you're real, real. Like you're real. <laughs> like if you had asked me if I believed in God growing up, I would say, yeah. Of course I do. I am Catholic. You know, I grew up believing in God. I went to Catholic school. I went to religious education. But it was more of like, yeah, I believed in God. But it was, did I really believe? Yeah, I believed. I mean, we're supposed to believe. So yeah, kind of. But now it's real. I went from being someone who believed in God, kind of like didn't know who he was, to knowing for 100% fact that he's real. And in that moment, I just remember blacking out and I had this huge vision of heaven. It wasn't, I don't want you to think it was actually a vision of heaven because it wasn't, but God gave me a vision of what heaven was like. And he gave me this vision where there were just millions of people in heaven. There was this huge chair in heaven and there was this huge Jesus sitting in the chair, go figure, and big Jesus, big chair. And, uh, and there was this line of people all around Jesus, like millions of people. Half of them had their hands up in the air. Half of them were prostrate on their faces in front of the throne of God. And there was this line going as far as you could see back out that way, we'll say down to South Heaven. <laughs> and it was as far as you could see. And I was in front of the line to go up and see Jesus. Each one of these people were taking turns going to see Jesus. And the person in front of me was in Jesus's hands. And he was this little man. And he was just standing there. He was shining like the sun. His face was so happy. You couldn't see any more happiness. Like he was just so perfectly happy that I didn't think someone could be that happy. And I remember I was next to go see Jesus in line and I was next to Amy Jo and she was walking me up there when my whole vision ended. And I didn't understand why it ended. I had my hands in the air still. And when I looked around, nobody had their hands in the air. The song wasn't even on anymore. We were at a whole different part of mass. I don't even know how long I was in that vision, but I clearly wasn't here on earth. And it was so powerful and so radiant. And God spoke to me and he said, Brian, you've been so sad and so confused and so angry. You're too young for all of that. He said, trust me, give your life to me and I will change your life. I can make you new. And then he gave me four words that I'll never forget. If you want it. I can make you new, he said, if you want it. I can give you a new mind and a new heart. Everything, I can put your life back together if you want it. He wasn't going to force me. 
It was a gift that I had to accept. And he's such a, I didn't deserve it. I mean, I gave him the finger so often and I've been such a bad person up until this point. I didn't deserve anything that he gave me. And yet he was giving it so freely and so generously. I mean, how long had he called me? How long had I just ignored him? How long had I been broken? And he wanted to give me everything, not just like bad wine, but like the wedding feast of Cana, the best wine. He wanted to give me the best divine life and healing in my life. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I was like, yes, God, yes, yes, I want it, but I don't know how to get it. And I remember everything just ended. I don't, again, I don't know how long I was in that vision or what, but I was like, that was the single most powerful experience of my life. One of them. I was going to have a few more, which I'll tell you about. But that changed my life that day. And I knew God was real. I knew I had to make some changes in my life that day. And so I, you know, tried to work on giving up some sins in my life. And I tried to work on becoming a better person and praying more and really seeking God more devoutly. And this happened toward the end of the first semester. And then I went home and... I had to go back to my friends, back to my family. I just had the most powerful religious experience with God in my life. And I loved God and I knew I did. And I was giving my life more to him, praying more fervently. And then I had to go home back to a place of death where people didn't really, you know, know God the way I did. And every time I was like, hey, do you want to know God? They're like, no, don't talk to me about God. You know, I'm like, okay. And I just went back to a bad place. My parents weren't in a good place. Um, they were struggling. Yeah, I worked at a woodworking place where I was pretty much the only person who didn't swear and drink and womanize and all this stuff. And I just felt totally alone. And I kind of went back to my friends. My friends would get me to go back to my sinful ways and I would. And then I went back out to Franciscan University after the summer was over and I would feel so guilty for all the sins that I did. And God took me back and he said, Brian, I forgive you. Are you ready to start again? I said, really? I said, God, you just take me back like that? You gave me everything. And then I gave you the finger and I went back and did all the things I wasn't supposed to. And you're just going to forgive me? You can't do that. You can't love me like that. So many times I just broke down and started crying. Sorry. <laughs> About just how awesome God's love was. How powerful it was. How changing, life-changing it is. And he took me back every time. We had this ping-pong battle where I would go home and I would remain stronger but I would always fall back again. And then I'd go back to Franciscan University and I'd start praying and God would take me back again. And it would just go back and forth like that. And I just, God's love is so amazing. Sorry, I'm not usually this emotional when I speak about it. And it came to a head one day where God was going to change all of that. And he was going to give me the power to never go back to the way that I was living. And it came to a head one day when I, I came back from Franciscan University after the summer. And I felt so guilty about some of the sins that I did. And God took me back. And I was thinking, I was like, every time I go home, my friends try to take away my faith. They don't want to hear me. They think I'm brainwashed. They're like, all this stuff. Oh, you're too good for us to listen to this music now? Oh, you're too good to watch this movie now? You used to do it with us before? Oh, now you're too good? And I used to break. But then I thought that every time I came back to Franciscan University, every time I come back to Jesus, he forgives me unconditionally and without any qualms. He just loved me fiercely, passionately, as if I was the only person on earth. And I said, why do I keep going back to my friends? Why don't I just give my life to the maker of the universe, the one who who give, gave it all to me. And so I made a choice that day to live for Jesus 
all in for Jesus because of everything he did for me and to never go back to the way I was living, never go back to that sinful life, to cut it off forever. And I want to tell you about that powerful experience, but I want to let you know that I gave my life to Christ and I have never gone back to the way I was living, not in, I think, almost 30 years. I've been on fire for Christ. And that is a powerful story and I want to tell it to you, but not there yet. So let me back up a little bit and talk about some of these experiences I had. So I had one festival of praise that was so powerful that I remember seeing Jesus on this altar in front of me, just giving me everything. And I was just praising. I had my hands all the way up in the air and said, Lord, I'll give you anything. You know, you've given me everything. You died on the cross. You literally gave me everything. So I will give you everything in return. God gave me the most powerful contemplative experience of my life. One of the most powerful contemplative experiences of my life. Like I was just caught up, raptured up in a sense into heaven, into his divine life. And I remember him showing me you know, all the things of the world, riches, luxuries. And when I saw them, it was like I was looking like I was colorblind. It just all looked gray to me compared to the bright eternal light of heaven, which was everything and shining upon me. I said, no, Lord, I choose you. I only want you now and forever. And I remember I went to sleep that night, especially after the healing mass. I went to another healing mass and it was after the healing mass. I prayed for complete healing, like because Jesus promised me one. So I prayed for it. And I didn't think God would give it to me because I was still accustomed to God not giving me things, you know, for most of my life. So I prayed to the girl, for the girl next to me. I prayed for the boy. I prayed for other people. But God didn't heal me at that mass. But what's weird is he healed me the next day. He healed me the next day. I was like, well, I didn't get healed at the mass, but that's typical. You know, I'm a bad person, you know, and I still had this bad mentality that even though God loved me unconditionally, I had to earn his love. I had to be good enough. I had to try hard enough. I had to do a lot enough good things and then he'll give me things. And I still had this reward merit system, which wasn't from God. So I remember the very next morning I woke up, I woke up. And as soon as I woke up, I said, I'm healed. I'm healed. I literally felt like I was levitating. I felt like light was coming out of every part of my body. And it was in the most amazing experience. I literally thought I was levitating. I looked around. I wasn't, but I felt like I was. And I just said, I'm healed. And I just felt like Paul talks about in, in the Bible about the peace that goes beyond all understanding. You can't understand it. And that's the peace I felt in that moment. Beyond all understanding, I just basked in it. I just stayed in it. And it lasted this heavenly, supernatural, perfect, undeniable peace lasted five days. It was a contemplative experience that lasted five days. I didn't watch any TV, hardly listen to any music. I didn't want to play any video games. I didn't even want to talk to anybody. I literally was walking in heaven, or at least I felt like I was, just walking in the glory of God day in and day out. And that, that was kind of what solidified everything for me. I gave my whole life to God. I mean, he had given everything to me. And I remember at mass, I was just so filled with his love. I said, Lord, this is the moment. I was like, this is what Protestants, I guess, would say you got saved that day. Uh, but this was the moment that you said, Lord, you've given everything to me. I see my sinfulness. I see my wretchedness. I can't save myself. I can't get out of my own way. I keep falling. But you have died. You have risen. You have conquered all of sin and hell. You've done everything for me. And I want to give you my life today, God. So I choose this day to live for you 
only you and all of you forever. I choose to love you, Lord Jesus, and serve you. You've given me everything. I'm going to give everything to you for the rest of my life. I'm never going to go back to the life I was living. Never going to go back to these sinful lifestyles. I reject the devil. I reject those sins. I reject that darkness. And I choose you, Lord. And I remember I was just so filled with his light and love. And that was my moment that I have never gone back to the way I was living. And he just filled me to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And I said, but Lord, there's a condition. <laughs> if I live for you, there is a condition. I, and I again, I was just raw. I'm a college student. I didn't really know how to talk to God or treat him at the time. But I said, Lord, I am so sick and tired of being made fun of for the faith. I'm so sick and tired of being bullied. I'm so sick and tired of my friends making fun of me, my family not wanting to listen to me. Because I used to go home and be like, God, you know, it's so awesome. He changed my life. You guys, if you just do this, he can, no, stop, please. What do you think? You're holier than us now? And people would cut me off and just tell me to stop preaching. I was like, but I'm not preaching. I'm just sharing the love of God. We don't want to hear about it. We don't care about your love of God. You know, keep all your stuff to yourself. You're too happy now. You know, like my mom, was, I remember she sent me there to get religious. Then she, I came home and she told me I was too religious. And maybe I was, you know, I, was, I, had, a very, I had a lot of fire and zeal, but I didn't have a lot of virtue or counsel on how to do it and to do it in a, in a tame way, in the right way. So it was probably raw and emotional. But yeah, I just, I ran into a brick wall. Every time I went home, I ran into a brick wall and it was so hard. I don't know if any of you out there struggle with being alone in your faith and feeling like you're alone. And I mean, pretty much anything Christian I would surround myself with just so I could you know, focus, you know, hear these talks about Jesus, these prayers of Jesus, sing these songs about Jesus, because that's what I wanted to immerse my life in. And so I was in the mass, after mass, and the lights were off in the church, all the students after mass, I'd say about 60-70% of students after mass all kneel down after the priest leaves. They don't leave the church, they don't follow the priest, they kneel down and they pray for another 5-10 to 10 minutes because they just received Jesus in them, in the Eucharist, and they want to stay with Jesus in the Eucharist and spend that quality time with him. If only everybody on a Sunday Mass would do that. After the priest leaves, we all kneel down and just pray to God and really focus on the presence of his Eucharist in us rather than leaving and going and turn on the car radio and just throwing it out the window, that experience. Anyways, I remember saying, God, sick and tired of being made fun of. I'm sick and tired of being a loser. Aren't you real? Aren't you true? God, you exist, right? So why do I, why am I made to feel like an idiot? And yes, I told God that. I said, Lord, isn't the Catholic faith true? Isn't it real? Like, aren't you real, God? Like, isn't any of this real? Then why am I always losing? Aren't you a winner, God? Don't you have the victory? Well, I'm sick of losing, God. If I'm going to live for you and give my whole life to you, I need you to give me the same Holy Spirit, the same power that you gave to the apostles on Pentecost when they were wimps locked behind an upper room door and they were too afraid to even speak of you, Lord. And then you turned them into warriors and they broke down that upper door room and they went out and they changed the world. Logan, that's what I want. That's the fire I want, Lord. That's the zeal I want. That's the power I want, Lord. Give it to me. And I remember I put my hands all the way up in the air and I just looked up in the heavens and I said, Lord, please pour it out. Like I was asking for like a drink of water, a huge drink of water, a huge glass of the Holy Spirit. And he poured out Niagara Falls. And I remember just praying, Lord, please give it to me. Pour it out, Lord. Pour it out, Lord. Send your spirit, Lord. And he did. It was like a Pentecost all over again. And I remember feeling like just like wimpy. I couldn't even explain or defend my faith to someone who was so filled with the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit and a gift for speaking, which is why I speak so fervently and passionately and on fire today. Because that day I received the fire of the Holy Spirit. That was like 25 
or more years ago, and I still have that fire today because Jesus placed that fire in my heart. And I've had that fire. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is an all-consuming fire, and it spreads. And God gave me the gift of speaking and teaching and preaching and defending that day, mostly. Some of it would have to be worked on, like the defending the faith part. But he gave me the desire to live for him and to never, ever go back to the way I was living. I was afraid, because I used to pray you know, grace. And if anybody said, did you just pray? I would literally say, no, no, I didn't pray. Yeah, I prayed. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't, but I would get so tongue tied. I didn't know what to say. But after this Holy Spirit came into my life, this, this boldness, this, just this fire, I had people, I would do that. And people say, you prayed? I'd say, yeah, I prayed. Didn't you? And they say, no. I said, why not? Don't you love God? They say, well, yeah, I love God, but, but what? But what? If you love God, then why didn't you pray to him? Why didn't you thank him for your food? Why are you just not even thinking of him? They're like, we don't want to talk about this anymore. And all of a sudden, they were on the defensive. It was amazing. Like, I was always on the defensive, not being able to explain my faith. I cried when an atheist challenged me on God. And I was trying my best to prove God exists. And she would just shoot, shoot, shoot down all of those arguments. And I remember, I, was like, I don't know anything. I just know I love God a lot, but I can't explain it like many Christians. And that would come in the next part of my journey. And I just knew I loved God and I radiated him. And I had this fire and I had the zeal that could not be put out. And yes, I had some very dark times, even when I went home and I felt lonely. But I it was different this time because I had Christ by my side the whole time. And I would cling to him, cling to him like no other. I would cling to the scriptures. When I went to my, my pagan jobs and nobody loved God, I would go on my own and read the Bible during lunchtime, just on my own. I would read the scriptures. I'd bring one of those New Testament Bibles uh, with me. And I would eventually, after this experience of receiving the Holy Spirit, I'd start evangelizing them. And they'd be like, hey, what are you doing? What'd you do this week? And I'd be like, oh, I did all these things. And I went to church. They'd be like, you went to church? I'm like, yeah, I love church. I love God. And I left it at that. They'd be like, who says that? And they would come back to me and they would ask me questions about God. And over the years, I have been able to help countless countless people to know the love of God, people who were broken, people who were hurting, people who didn't know his mercy, people who were angry, hurting, abused like I was, people who were bullied, people, everything. I mean, once I was healed from my narcissistic life, I just wanted to help and heal other people the way Jesus healed me. And I remember sitting in this field up at Franciscan University, this huge field, and had a 150-foot steel cross sticking, towering over the city of Steubenville. And I was sitting, looking at that cross, crying my eyes on bed, like, God, you've been so good to me over the last few years, and you've transformed my life. Lord, you've healed my life. I just want to heal others the way you've healed me. I just want to help others the way you've helped me, and I want to transform other people's lives the way you've transformed mine. I want people to know you like I do. And that's when my desire for ministry began. And this would be many, many years, but I wanted to start healing and helping people. So I started giving confirmation retreats, speaking at conferences, telling my conversion stories, you know, firing people up for the faith, telling people how wonderful Jesus is and how they can experience God as well. And this is where I would start to get into a lot of evangelization, evangelizing everybody and telling everybody the good news about Jesus and about his Catholic church. And I was able to take everything that God gave me and kind of put it together into the person who I became today. Still full of weakness, but still full of God's strength. Anything I do have, 
anything I accomplish, all the ministry I do, it's all his grace. I literally have nothing without him. I am nothing without him. I can do nothing without him. Everything I have today is a gift. Everything I've learned is a gift. And today, my goal is just to save as many people as humanly possible, to reach as many people as humanly possible, to heal people and transform people the way that Christ has transformed my life. But also, once I came out of Franciscan University, I realized there was a whole world of broken people out there, but also Catholics who had not the slightest clue why they were Catholic. People who didn't know their faith. People who were bored by their faith. People who said, oh, I'm Catholic, but I'm Catholic, but... And so many Catholics from the top down were confused. And I saw the numbers of people falling away from the church, churches closing, this and that. And I re- how many Protestants were taking Catholics away, and I realized Catholics don't know their faith. So I just developed a two-pronged attack. One, to really help people to know Christ, to be transformed by his love, to know him, to love him, and to be close to him, to shoot for heaven every day, to live the gospel, but also to know, love, and live their Catholic faith. Don't just go through the motions, but be set on fire for it. Come to know it. Learn it love it, teach it, and and spread it to the world because Jesus gave it to us and it can set us free. And that's why I've taken to YouTube because I can reach so many more people, uh, not just speaking at retreats, which I still do, and not just speaking at conferences, which I love to do, but also YouTube and social media. We can reach so many people who would never go to church. And it's amazing that a little broken kid who was dressing in black and carrying weapons and hated the world and just hated himself and hated life and hated everything and was so broken that God took that poor little soul who was in a gutter, cleaned him off, gave him food, got him back up on his feet, and gave him life. And now he wants to share that life. He gave him fire, and now he wants to share that fire. He gave him love, and now he wants to share that love with the whole world. So that's my mission. And that's why I started Catholic Truth, because I want to amplify that mission. I want it to grow more and more, further and further. I did ministry on my own for so many years, but now I'm creating a whole team around me because we can reach so many more people together. And quite frankly, our our world needs it. It's so lost. It's so broken. It's so desperate. And it's far from God. And it's like a it's like someone who's eating through their own leg just to get it out of a trap. It's like they put themselves in the trap and then they're eating their own leg to get out of the trap. It's like we don't follow God and then we wonder why we don't like our lives, why we hate our lives. It's like we have the most cars and the most expensive TVs and houses and everything, laptops, phones, then in the history of the world. We are some of the richest people, and yet poverty is still on the rise. Numbers in the jails are still on the rise. Uh, Suicide, anxiety, depression, all on the rise because we have everything, and yet we have nothing. We don't know what it takes to make us happy. We have so many people selling out their souls and trying everything else except God, who can fill our God-shaped So many people say to don't question God. So many people say just have faith. So many people say, oh, don't step on people's toes. You know what? We've done that for the last 50, 60 years and it doesn't work. We've let the world step on our toes. We've let them push us around. We're in the shadows now. The culture, the toxic, ungodly, devilish culture is running the show. They're telling us what to do and we're doing nothing about it because we've been too quiet for too long. Well, you know what? No more. 
No longer. That's why Catholic Truth exists, so we can teach and preach the truth of Jesus Christ, which sets us free, and the truth of the Catholic faith. Because when I learned that the Catholic Church was true, it's the only church that goes back 2,000 years. It has wonderful answers to our questions, and it makes sense. Wow, I just want to share that with the world. And I know that the more close I came to Christ and his church, the more on fire I became. And I want that for people too. Religion doesn't have to be boring. Our faith doesn't have to be boring. It can be exciting. It can be life-changing. Then if it's boring, you're probably doing it wrong. Like for me, most of my life. And all my knowledge that I've gained is absolutely useless if I don't teach others and share what I've learned. And so that's my goal. I want to help people. I want to lead people. I want to teach. I want to equip. I want to help them to know what I know. And so that's why Catholic Truth exists. This is why we're taking it to a whole nother level. This is why we're amplifying the message, because this world needs it. We always say that Catholic Truth is oxygen in a toxic culture, and truth and light in an age of death. We want to be that light of the world. Christ is the light of the world, and he told us to be the light of the world. Thank you so much for listening to my story. There's so much more that I didn't get to talk about. I want to thank you and I want to ask you to keep praying for me. Please keep me in your prayer so that I may stay faithful to God all the days of my life and that I might not be a hypocrite, that I might be a good witness to Christ and everything he gave me. He gave me so much and so I owe him so much. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will always work in my life that I can give back to him.